0: He was the cartoonist's favourite for years, a high-profile politician generally depicted with a big mouth, often with one or both of his feet in that mouth. In the years post-politics, former Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett turned his attention to football and social issues, such as mental health and the welfare of Indigenous people. He was the founding chairman of Beyond Blue in 2000, a movement which works to, quote, "...reduce the impact of depression and anxiety in the community." You're stepping down, Mr Premier. I always call you Mr Premier.
1: Appropriate. (laughs) Why so? Uh, I've been there 17 years, Mike, and I've always believed that a leader should only stay in a leadership position between six and nine years, so I've well outlived that. But it's part of my DNA, and half the battle, as you would know, is finding the appropriate successor, and it's taken me three years to do that and I have now done so.
0: Now, I don't know much about politics, but I thought that there was a hostility that you couldn't measure between the two political parties, Labor and Liberals. Your successor is Julia Gillard. Wasn't she a
1: Labor person? And Your memory is still very good. Uh, yeah, she was our Prime Minister. Uh, <laughs> Beyond Blue is a bipartisan organisation, and ever since I set it up in 2000, I've always made sure we've had all sides of politics represented on the board. I wanted someone who was simpatico with mental health, and Julia's father was a psychiatric nurse, so she grew up in that environment. Uh, She's a good communicator. A bit like me, with due respect, she can open any door. So, if she was to ring up a Prime Minister or a Premier, regardless of their politics, they'd take a call. But, lastly, I wanted to have someone who would act as a lightning rod for the organisation. So, whereas a lot of people said of me when I established Beyond Blue, well, Kenneth's the right guy to be doing it because he's caused so much depression here in Victoria (laughs) and of a previous life. The reality is the landscape today is very cluttered, uh, be it for -for not-for-profits or commerce, and therefore to have a not-for-profit actually attract attention, you need someone as its head who's going to act as a lightning rod. And Julia is qualified on all those issues and will act as a lightning rod, and she'll do it very well. Is this the end of you in public life? Uh, Well, I've now taken up the chairmanship of a thing called The Torch, which deals with incarcerated Indigenous men and women. Uh, I don't set out, necessarily, to be in public life, as you put it, but I do believe once, having been given the opportunity, as I was, to lead a party, to lead a government, you've got to give back. And I think public service is, without a doubt, the finest of service. So I will always make sure... The 20, 30, 40% of my time, uh, I give back to some community activity. And for the next 10 years, it'll be the torch. Why mental health? I want to get to you about the impact of and and
0: the issue of mental health in football. But why generally did you become involved in the mental health issue?
1: As briefly as I can, I knew nothing about it. Even though I was Premier, I had a minister... uh, My daughter came to me in 1997, so that was towards the end of our period in government, and she'd just lost two of her friends in car accidents in the Western District. And she said, Dad, what can you do to stop these young men dying on the roads? And I think she and I both thought it's talking about the road toll, cars, etc. When I got information about these two deaths, I found out they were both young men who were emotionally depressed. They'd separated or been separated from their partners, female partners, and they'd used their motor vehicles to take their lives. In other words, they were suicide. So that started me on a course of understanding uh, suicide better. I got advisers from around the country to meet with me in Melbourne. Uh, They told me... You can't reduce suicide by addressing suicide alone because you've got to be with someone 24-7, and that's impossible. What causes most suicides? It's either emotional or clinical depression. And therefore, I learnt more about that. And before I left politics in 1999, I went to my last head of government's meeting uh, in Canberra and I tried to get the Commonwealth to establish a national body to give mental health a higher profile. I wasn't successful at that meeting. Uh, I didn't get it on the agenda. After I left politics then, uh, both the then Health Minister, Michael Wooldridge, and my successor here in Victoria, to his credit, Steve Brax, gave me the wherewithal to start what is now known as Beyond Blue. And so, for the last 17 years, that has occupied 35 40% of my time, Uh, and I think we've built up through a team a much better understanding. I mean, you've talked to people on this show about their difficulties Mm. with life after football, during football. Uh, We could have these discussions today without putting someone down. So we've changed the discussion. And I think that's a great step forward to people then having the capacity to do something about their own health.
0: The worry for you and people of like mind is that there's still a lot of cynicism about mental health. I mean, when Gary Lyon had the issue, when Buddy Franklin had the issue, so many people still sort of say it was a crutch, it was a convenient excuse at the time. How do do we confront that?
1: Many of those people who say that, and I think it's less in number than it was, say, 20 years ago, have never experienced uh, a depressive illness and most unusually have never experienced having a child or a family member with it. Now, most of us know someone who have either been mentally ill or, sadly, taken their life. So they are in uneducated comments, and they're very, very hurtful. And one of the things we try and do at Beyond Blue is educate people to be more respectful. So if you were to suggest to me what is the one thing I would like in my life to be able to deliver, it would be to remove discrimination in all shapes and forms. Well, let me interrupt you. Are you the same Geoff
0: Kennett that used to use barbs throughout his time in Parliament? I mean, there were no restrictions on you when you were in um, question time, were there?
1: Well, only the restrictions... No self-imposed restrictions. Oh, yes, I've tried not to swear. Uh, (laughs) uh, Often failed. Uh, Look, yes, you are the same person. This idea that you're mature or something like that, what you do as you progress through life is you learn. And you and I are both much better educated people today than we were mm. 20 years ago or 40 years ago. Uh, so, I was heading a government last century. Mm. Last century. A lot's happened since then. Uh, the sadness is, I think, that if every day of your life you're not, you're not learning more. So, am I different? No, I'm not different. But I have learnt throughout my life.
0: Okay. You've had the Beyond Blue experience and your time as president of Hawthorne. Is the mental health issue a big factor in football, amongst footballers?
1: Yes, there's no doubt about it, but not just football, all sports. No, but specifically because
0: this is, we're a football program. Oh, How gosh, concerned that's are you about... Knowledge. Well, there's 800 blokes playing football and yep. there's hundreds more who have been in and out of the system.
1: Yes, it is a big factor, and it's a big factor for a number of reasons. Uh, these young men get identified early, High expectations. Some get picked up for AFL football. Again, expectations they put on themselves, put on by family, put on by friends, then put on by the club, then put on by the supporters. So they're really under... They're in a pressure cooker. Uh, Secondly, most of them don't do extra training that is sufficient enough for them to prepare for life after. And, you know, the average life of a footballer's playing life is about three and a half years now. Some last longer, some shorter, but it's a fairly short life. The great worry I have now is that so much is expected of a player through training. There isn't enough time left for them to be actually pursuing a proper education. Mm. And that then leads to another issue, which is the number of players who are gambling. And they're gambling because when there's downtime, they can get on their phone. Most of them are gambling on horse racing. They can turn their phone on, they can place a bet, they can watch the race, and then they can move to the next race wherever it is in Australia. So it is a huge problem. And it is only going to get worse unless something happens.
0: There were two players... uh been publicised for their mental health issues of recent times. High profile. The ex-Melbourne captain, Gary Lyon, and Buddy Franklin. Both of them had links to Hawthorne. Gary's father played for Hawthorne. Buddy was a Hawthorne player in your time. Did you seek them out?
1: Uh, I don't think it's right for me to talk about individual cases, uh, if you don't mind. I think that's incorrect. Uh, But I can tell you this. At Hawthorne, we did introduce a program where every player had to be involved in some sort of education program. I don't think that's enough anymore because the re- training requirements are so high. I will say this, though, I think there is an opportunity for us to look at what they do in America, where sportsmen and women work through the college system, where they work in a disciplined system, where they work in a system that gives them an, an education for life after sport. I just, I worry, I cringe and a number of sportsmen and women I know today who are coming towards the end of their careers, and I don't know what they're going to do. No, and they don't. And they don't. Do, and, they don't. <laughs> yeah. and their peer group has moved on, their income is going to be cut off very, very quickly, and they have nothing behind them. So when at Hawthorne, many years ago, I said our first responsibility as a board was to governance, our second was to the welfare of our players and our employees, makes no difference. And I think that should be the criteria for every board or every sporting organisation. You hold that child in trust for a period of time and you have a responsibility to make sure that when their days are over, you have prepared them for what lies ahead. When we come back,
0: Jeff, let's talk about your relationship with one Alistair Clarkson. You were seen when in your political days as totally self-assured, even to the point of brashness and some would say arrogance.
1: Did that ever worry you? No. Was it true? Well, this is where I have difficulty with this sort of word, arrogance. People say an individual is arrogant often because they don't agree with what you're doing Mm -hmm. and therefore they want to label you in some way or another. I was always just part of a team, right? But you've got to be the lightning rod. Whether it's as a Premier or whether it's President of the Club or whether it's Head of Beyond Blue, you are the lightning rod. You've got to make sure you have good governance. You've got to look after your staff, et cetera, et cetera, And then you've got to put in programs that you apply consistently where the people you lead themselves recognise that you're ultimately delivering. No point me being president of Hawthorne today saying, we're going to be the best club in the world. That, that achieves nothing. You've actually got to do the work. Mm-hmm. So, yes, people call me arrogant, uh, among other adjectives, etc., oh, reckon... but it doesn't worry me at all. In I fact, couldn't give a damn. In fact, sometimes I think you're flattered by that. No, I'm not flattered by it, but I just don't worry about okay, it. Life's okay. too short. OK, at least for us
0: to. You changed the Constitution at Hawthorne so that the President could serve only two three-year terms. I fi- you, You're consistent in a way on this, but I find you inconsistent. You spent so much longer at Beyond Blue, mm-hmm. 17 years. clarke um, Clarko is now in his 12th or thirteenth year at Hawthorne, I'm not quite sure where you stand on that. Do you think Clarko should... Marco,
1: Yeah. Uh, well, ultimately, that's up for others. But you're right. I think six to nine years is the most productive time you can stay as a leader of an organisation, unless your role tra- uh, changes dramatically. If you haven't achieved what you want to in that period of time, you might as well move on and let someone else do it. If you haven't achieved, you should go anyway, right? So either way, succeed or fail, you ought to move on. Uh, Yes, I have my views about the length of service of coaches. I mean, most coaches go mad over time, as you know. <laughs> uh, the pressure, the expectation, it's a tough gig. Uh, but specifically Clarko, he has some very, very good values. Uh, he's probably the best educated coach in the league because every year, as you know, he goes overseas and takes in other mm. codes mm. right around the world. So he is extremely well-educated about sport generally. Uh, But there is always a natural time. And you have a look at the success of Hawthorne. Uh, When I took over in 2005, if I'd asked any member then, and there was only 28,000 of them, would you be happy with one premiership in the next 10 years they would have jumped out of their skin? We've now had four. And along the way, recognised as perhaps the leader on and off the field, a lot of our good people have been seduced into other roles. So, we've lost a lot of our Clarkos assistants to become senior coaches themselves. We've lost some of our administrators. So, right now, we're a club in transition, uh, very much so, from board right down to the playing field. That's a challenge. But, as you know, while I'm not involved in the club, I'm no longer a member of the board, uh, I think most of my successors would agree, Hawthorne likes a challenge. And I think Clarko is very much part of that.
0: How do you look back on your call, I think in two thousand and thirteen that
1: Clarko should go then? It was the first game against uh, Geelong, Geelong, which we lost, uh, but you know what? It was very deliberate. You know what happened at the end of that year? <laughs> you won the flag we won the flag. so what <laughs> I, I had to do you, is it? what I had to do was remind Clarko what the bigger picture was, and he went on to big things mm. so. Everything's quite deliberate. So you're taking the credit for that? Absolutely. Let's
0: say if I didn't believe that, all right? Oh, no, please. You wouldn't say <laughs> what that. Was, what was the purpose of, given the, the, the success that he'd had and the health of this footy club, why would you have said that after round one of a season?
1: Oh, partly for fun. Uh, serious? Yeah, why not? I mean, why is everyone so serious? these days? I mean, we're only here once. And as you said before, uh, you thought I was a person who expressed my views as I felt them. And on that night, after that game, that's how I felt.
0: OK. And
1: I'm, I don't walk away from that.
0: OK. After the 2008 Grand Final... Yes. ..I think something else you said, that Geelong <laughs> lacked the mentality to beat Hawthorne. Oh...
1: You know I what think...
0: happened in the next 11 games between Geelong yes, and Hawthorne? yes, yes.
1: I remember the 2008 victory and it was a few, couple of years later I made that comment and it then became part of the folklore of the time. Uh, Kenneth's curse, I mm. think you and the media called it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't worry me at all. What I meant was, and what proved to be correct, we win the big ones. The most important thing is if you get to the grand finals, have you got... Or the finals, have you got the capacity to see it through? And that's what I was referring to. And when okay. the, the, the crunch came and one of the finals that followed, we again beat Geelong. But Geelong and us... Geelong and Hawthorne are very similar clubs. They've got good values. When they were in trouble many years ago, you might remember we lent them Gary Ablett because, uh, to help <laughs> rebuild their stock. You're so generous. And, you're they, right. and they went on to better things.
0: One of your great achievements, I think, at Hawthorne was broadening the horizon, sending the Hawks to Tassie as a second base, uh, which has been a huge success. Do you get $3 bucks a year for that?
1: Yes, we do. Uh, We spend about... Well, again, I'm going back a couple of years. I'm not there. Uh, We spend about a million of that back in Tasmania. But more importantly, that is the best sponsorship of any club in the AFL. Why? Because it is measurable. So if you have a car dealership or a brand sponsoring a club, it's hard to work out whether... That deal actually got... But we can measure the number of people we have going down to Tasmania. The government has done research. For that $3 million, they get $58 million worth of economic mm. activity. Now, confidentially, as no-one else is listening to this, <laughs> one of my great worries <laughs> is the AFL, who have been trying for years to get us out of there and to put North Melbourne as the sole AFL club in Tasmania. You mean that literally? Absolutely. Yeah and I can give much evidence to support that. We have a contract there that's five years. It's got about another four years to go. It would be an absolute tragedy for the people of Tasmania if Hawthorne was not part of their community. We are, as you know, the Tassie Hawks. Mm-hmm. Alistair Clarkson and the team spend an inordinate amount of time, not just in Launceston, but right throughout Tasmania. And you can drive around Tassie and there'll be people... We've got. Over 9,000 members in Tasmania. Uh, When there's a fire or a flood, Alistair takes the team down there quietly. They repair fences. We are part of the Tasmanian community. And it will absolutely break my heart if the AFL, imposing its will, its strength, forces... Hawthorne out of Tasmania. Are they still resolute in that desire, do you think? Uh, Or are they softening? No, they're not softening. And I know some of the deals that they're trying to do with the Tasmanian government at the moment. Mm. And I am bitterly disappointed that a club that... You might remember there was Hawthorne and St Kilda down there. St Kilda withdrew. And I said to the then Premier, Paul Lennon, we will take the other two games and we will become a full partner with Tasmania down there, which he accepted. We've put in so much work in Tasmania... Uh, for community, for pride, for confidence, etc., etc., it would be an abrogation, I think, of the AFL's social responsibility if they force Hawthorne out of Tasmania.
0: Is the Tasmanian Initiative the greatest achievement of your
1: time? No, no, no. no? It's not my time. It's well, well, yes, it is your time. No, no. I was simply the orchestra leader. I had an excellent okay. board. Okay. I had a very good administration. We had a very good coaching group. We worked together. We didn't always agree on everything, but in order to push out good outcomes, you need to have disagreements where you think they're right. You've got to be able to stand up and argue a point. And so we're now a club in transition. We've had a wonderful period of time. We're going to have to earn our stripes again. And that's from the board down. I want to ask you about um, one
0: of the, I thought, odd moves of your time. (laughs) One Uh, of the odd moves. (laughs) One of the odd moves. You suggested you almost put your hand up during Don McClardy's reign as Melbourne president to say that you should be the president of the Melbourne Football Club, that you would be, loosely speaking, the saviour of that football club.
1: No, I I didn't mean the saviour. Melbourne were desperate. Melbourne is a great club, a a really great... My parents barracked for Melbourne all their lives. Uh, And I was there for their last grand final, etc. And what you've got to understand when you run a football club, if you want to be successful, you don't run them because you love football. You run them as a business Mm -hmm. where you understand the emotion of your audience, being your members, and the challenges for your players. You've got to put the best you have around you. So... (laughs) That's the best board you can possibly get. It's no point having the sixth best person on your board. You should be aiming for the first or second best. Same with your coach, same with your CEO. Melbourne were not in that position. So I made the offer. Yes, that is true. Because I thought, based on whether my experience in running a government, Hawthorne, Beyond Blue, any of these things, that I had proved that I could deliver a good team of people to deliver an outcome. So, to me, it was just a challenge. And partly it was a challenge... Uh, to respect my parents' love of their particular club. Is there one thing that you particularly
0: regret saying or doing? One that stands alone?
1: No, because you can't change it. Why worry? No, but, but that doesn't mean you can't regret it. But what's the point of
0: regret? Well, I mean, you can't change it. But then we don't learn if what we, do you? It,
1: what, what have you... What, what, what one thing do
0: you regret? Well, there's a there's, there's hundred, but... but well, well, there you are. But it's you're the subject. I'm, I'm no, interested no, in no your... but I'm just
1: saying what a silly question, with due respect. <laughs> with, <laughs> with due, due respect. respect. I mean, okay. yeah, that's the point, isn't it? Isn't OK. It? Now, hang on, let me just make the point. So many people waste so much time and get in so much trouble internally... Because they're dealing with yesterday. Okay. And they can't deal with the problems of yesterday to enjoy tomorrow. So I, there's lots of things that I've done that I probably regret. But I've got to say to you, I can't change it, so why okay. dwell on it? Jared Healy's of your view. Jared Healy's always of the view. No rear no rea vision mirror. No,
0: no. Just always Very look astute.
1: ahead. Uh, except with one exception, that you learn all the time. You're yep. always yep. learning.
0: I've got a multiple choice question for you. <laughs> Is Alistair Clarkson A, easy to manage... B, difficult, or C, impossible? All of those things,
1: (laughs) A, B and C.
0: If you had to make one choice, would you be closer to C than A, C being impossible?
1: No, no, I wouldn't. Look, I love my relationship with Alistair and I love the differences we had from time to time. It was a bit like the old bull and the young bull. Mm. But you've got to remember, no one is more important than the whole, a president or a coach. And we're all there as servants, of, in our case, the history that is Hawthorne. So, you know, presidents go, coaches go, uh, but at times, a frank relationship is better than a sycophantic sure. relationship. No, I, I'm a, I agree with you on that. Um, Where did you get these socks? <laughs> I mean. Well, I got them from uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Is you, that you, okay? Have you, do you wear these to distract your guests or is <laughs> it a. To... Gonna... They're, they're very different, aren't
0: they? do you know. <laughs> Do you know... Don't take over, Do you know that at the end of this year, Clarko will have gone past John Kennedy as the longest-serving coach at Hawthorne?
1: Yes, I know what you're trying to get me to say all the time. You've been trying it before. Uh, but there has been no, more, no greater successful coach than Alistair Clarkson at Hawthorne. We love John Kennedy, that first premiership. We love his, the timber in his voice today. Uh, he is one of the the anchor points of Hawthorne in terms of the Hawthorne family club and the culture, et cetera, et cetera. But Alistair is still the most successful coach. Mm, he is.
0: Mm. What do you think of Donald Trump? <laughs>
1: well, seeing you're asking me today, because it varies, I like the way he's shaped up the United States and perhaps shaped up the world. Uh, having said that, though, there are very few people who go into a job, who succeed in that job without some experience in the job in the first place. And Donald Trump has gone into that without any politi- political experience at all. And so, therefore, a lot of the things... ..a lot of the seemingly difficult or mistakes he's making today are out of a lack of experience. He might get away with it. He might get away with it. But there's a very good chance that he won't.
0: Do you see any of the young Geoff Kennett in... in- Trump?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid question that is. Why, why, no, why say so? you Because I, Before I became Premier, I'd been a politician for a number of years. I'd, I'd done my apprenticeship.
0: I understand, yeah, but I'm not saying that... Um, I'm just talking in, the, in your manner, in your public persona... No. you think
1: I've got the same sort of hair as he has? No. <laughs>
0: Not quite. No, I see nothing similar at all. Oh, no, OK. Did you ever seek to run the AFL? Did it ever cross your mind
1: that you'd like to be the CEO of the AFL? Uh, oh, I suppose it did at one stage. You know, I get so frustrated with some of the things they did and they do. What, think...
0: Demetrio's reign or
1: McLaughlin's reign? Well, more when I was there, which was Andrew's time. Uh, I didn't like the way the AFL on their uh, three-strike policy on drugs. I argued against it a long time. I'll never forget sitting in one of those meetings and one of the Presidents, when I was trying to say, you've got to let the Presidents know about a player who's taken drugs so we can help them or look at their peer group to make sure there isn't a group of people Mm. having trouble. And one of the Presidents said to me, he said, oh, gosh, I don't want to ever be told, I don't want to know. I simply don't want to know about whether my players are on drugs. And I thought that was an absolute abrogation mm. of responsibility. And I saw the AFL in that light also. They didn't. The AFL have been, as you know, at times, great bullies in terms <laughs> of the way in which they act. <laughs> and that has not been good for the competition. Uh, I think it's better today under Gill. I do say that. But I think there are still a lot of issues that can be addressed better. Did you have a drug problem with Hawthorne in your time? Not that I'm aware of, and I say that honestly. I'm not... No-one ever told me that we had a player with a problem from the AFL or elsewhere. Oh,
0: sorry. You must know that there were a a couple
1: of players that had issues with Hawthorne. No, no, I was going to... There was one player who isn't playing football at the moment, so I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, who I understood uh, did not play... This, as I understood, was told... ..did not play the game the next day uh, for reasons that were not related to his physical health. Mm. Right? Uh, But I only found that out some months afterwards. And I don't know whether it was alcohol or anything else, but he was scheduled to play. And when I went to the game and, where is he, Uh, I got no answer, but then I did eventually get an answer and there were other issues. Did he withdraw or did the club withdraw him? I think he was withdrawn. By the club.
0: Mm -hmm. I reckon when your time comes, you can say, well, I didn't die wondering.
1: No, and I hope when the time comes, it comes quickly because I would hate to be sitting in the corner of a room dribbling (laughs) uh, and my (laughs) grandchildren watching that. And me
0: alongside you.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Great to see you, Jeff. Thank you very much. This has been a production of Fox Sports.